I love coming to church because it's great to sing with you guys. I try to sing by myself, but it sounds so much better singing with you guys. It really does, I've got to tell you. It's fantastic. If you're new here today, I want to say welcome. And if you, this is your normal church home. It's so good to see your smiling faces. It's so good to see you. I encourage you to just take out your outlines. As we move towards Easter, today I want to talk about why is Easter so significant. And over these next few weeks, people all over this world will be celebrating Easter. So, okay, so why is Easter so important? Well, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead after being in the grave for three days. By the way, good thing to mark on your calendars, the movie Risen. I've actually had a good look at that. Looks kosher. Interesting take. Nothing too unusual, but very interesting. Because as we read the scriptures, we often miss a lot of what was actually going on in Rome at that time and in Jerusalem. So I'd encourage you to do that. So why is Easter so significant, which is what I want to get at today? Well, when Jesus rose from the dead after three days of being in the grave, it did two key things. One, it proved who he said he was. It proved who Jesus is. And second, it validated what he taught. Because if some joker rises from the dead after you've seen him, and he predicted it, and he did it, let me tell you, his credibility has gone from a, an imposter to, whoa, I better listen to what he says. Because he just predicted it, and against the whole of the establishment in those days, he just did something which was very Unusual, Never happened before. First of all, it proved who Jesus was. Now, Jesus is speaking to the Jews here. Very close in this first scripture to the area where he saw the woman, the widow, who was going to pop in the mite. Do you remember the story? Very famous story. So exactly the same spot where Jesus often stood. This is where he's speaking this from. And then he teaches a profound lesson about the widow who gave a mite. The Jews... In the exact same spot, ask Jesus this question. And that's what they say to him. Tell us who you really are. And that wasn't said in a very nice way. Tell us who you are. In other words, who the heck do you think you are? That's really what they're saying. Tell us. They're acoustic. You know that tone that people have? Tell us who they are. You are. They demanded. Tell us. And he replied... This is earth-shattering to these guys. I am the one. I have always claimed to be, when you have killed the Messiah, then you will realize, what? That I am he. Now, there's a lot of um, nuances in that, but the big one was this one. When he said the word, I am, he was claiming to be God. Do you know what that was like? That was capital punishment material. He was blaspheming in their eyes. I am God, he's saying there. He was claiming. And when Jesus claimed that I am God, the title for God They consider that an absolutely outrageous claim. You think Donald Trump's outrageous? This is another league. Imagine if Donald said, I'm God. 
What the heck? And back in those days, they had Jewish um, uh, um, religious police whose job was to nail guys like this. Basically, he was saying things like, I am perfect. Jesus said that. Hey, I'm perfect. I am the saviour of the world. Can you feel these Jews' heckles getting coming up? I am the saviour of the world. Here's another one that really got them. Because remember, we are disciples of Moses. He said, guess what, guys? I am the only way to get to God. What? So he's really sticking it to them. And then finally, he says here, I am God. Other exclusive claims like this next one. Jesus told him, I am the way. Yes, and the truth and the life. And no one gets to the Father except by means of me. Don't worry about Moses. Don't worry about Abraham. I'm it. And by the way, some of you may not realize this. The way. The way was the most commonly used name to refer to believers in the early church. It was the way. Here's a couple of examples. It's important to know that. Because you know why they call it the way? Because there was no other way. There was only one. The way. Here it is. Can you just pop the next slide, um, slide there? Here we are. So he went to the high priest. This is... Uh, this is Paul here and he, he went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way the one and only way whether they be women or men he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem and actually kill them you read that the way is how they were known the way not one way the way Originating from Christ himself, who called himself the way. I am the way. Now then, next, next verse there, I put up on the screen, not in your outline. But some of them became obstinate, and they refused to pub- believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them, he took the disciples with him, and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And then one last scripture, which is also on your screen, but not on the, on the, um, it's on the screen, but not on your outline. About that time, this is interesting, there arose a great disturbance about the way. There's a public disturbance now. You have a discussion with your friends and say, end of the day, point blank, not very politically correct. In fact, it's not, but it's biblically correct. Jesus Christ is the way. There are no other ways. There is no other saviour. That would create a very significant disturbance, and it did in those days. No other religious leader had ever claimed to be God. Nobody had ever done that. This is a world first. Muhammad and Buddha never claimed to be God. And by the way, remember, young people, all religions are not the same. They are diametrically opposed at the most fundamental level. I did a whole series on that called Reasons for Believing. They're, fundamental, they're fundamentally contradictory in all of their major claims, which means they are not the same. One is not the same as seven, which is not the same as four. They are mutually exclusive. That can only mean one thing. They're all wrong or only one's right. I got there a bit quick, but if you go back to that series, you'll see how I got there. 
So Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. There's no middle ground, no third way, no other door. He either was who he said he was, or he is not. So when Jesus says, I am God, it's either true or false, right? There's no, no third real, real alternative there. Notice he doesn't say, I am a way to God. Or all roads lead to God. No, they don't. Only one number gets to my house. 5344 Only one number will get that. So Jesus said this. He claimed to be God and the Jews got ticked. You think people get ticked today? They were after his blood, literally, because he said that. Not because of the miracles. Oh, they could kind of handle that, although they got a little ruffle that he did it out of sync with their sacrilegious Sunday. They got a little ticked, but he, they really got ticked when he called himself God. So Jesus says, the way you will know that I actually am he is this. I'm going to die, but I'm not going to stay dead. I'll be dead for three days. I'll be gone for three days, and I'll be back. Notice this. Even though you don't believe me, believe the miracles that I do, that you may know and understand that the Father's in me and I in the Father. Now many people will concede, and some of your friends at work and some of your neighbors will concede, well, Jesus taught some good moral things. He was a good teacher. Now there's a big problem with that statement if you ever get faced with that. Well, Jesus is a good moral teacher, which many people concede. The problem is, Jesus never made that claim. And he never even left that option open to us. Now stay with me on that one. He did not leave that option even on the table. Because if Jesus was just a man, the sort of things that Jesus said would make him not a moral, a great moral teacher. He would either be a liar which he knew he wasn't God, yet he said it, that's called a liar, or he'd think he was God and he actually wasn't, that would make him an absolute lunatic, ready to be committed. And the only other third possibility you could possibly have is it actually was the Lord. That's the only three possibilities you have. So when Jesus made statements like, I am God, he either is who he said he was, or... He's the biggest fraud in the entire world. You only have two choices. Only two. Now he said this. They will mock and flog me. And they'll kill me. But after three days, I will come back again. Again, why did they crucify Jesus anyway? They crucified him because of his bold unequivocal, clear statements to be God. And that was a problem. The religious leaders had two very narrow options. Either fall down and worship him if he was God or kill the imposter. They really only had two. Now the only problem was he didn't stay dead. Three days later he came back. He's back. Can you just imagine a religious leader which you're going to see in that film, Risen. Who just executed Jesus publicly. This isn't done a corner corner. And they've done 
thousands and thousands of crucifixions. They were very good at doing this. They knew exactly. This wasn't oh, a once every blue moon. They knew how to do this. In front of hundreds and hundreds of people, big commotion in town. Everybody in town knows he's dead. He's in the tomb, lock and key, sealed, 24-hour guard, because those religious police knew he had predicted he'd come back. Now, you imagine, if you're on the PR campaign, you better make sure that this joker stays in that tomb or your name is mud. Doesn't matter what happens, he better be in there. That's why you'll see in that movie Risen, they severely... Go after those guys to make sure you, there's multiple in there. You make sure nothing happens here because our reputation's on this. So they put a, a, the Romans put a large stone over, seal it, and three days later, imagine that. You bump into him on the street. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> nice to see you. What have you been up to lately? <laughs> ah, look what he said. He said, I am the Son of God. Don't believe me unless I do the miracles of God. He said, this is what I claim, and I'm going to prove it. This is what I'm going to do, prove it. And if I don't, guess what? I'm not God. Forget it. Go back to your fishing. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a matter of public record. This is not something, again, that's done in secret. It was big headlines. Remember, these are Jews, fervent Jews, fanatical Jews, who had to protect hundreds of years of religion. And this guy is disturbing the entire system. Big headlines in Jerusalem. The whole city knows about it. Eventually, the whole of the Roman Empire, which is Massivo, knows about it. Big news. Now Gallup did a survey and they concluded that 64% of respondents accept the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a historical fact. But so what? Even if that's true, what does that mean to me? If that happened, how does it apply to me today in 2016 sitting here in East Auckland? Well, here's what difference does it make? Well, if Jesus was raised from the dead, it's reasonable to infer he was who he said he was and therefore what he said was true. We can trust what he says. But if he said, I am God, then he didn't rise, how could you trust anything else that he said? So this is news you can use because the resurrection proves that Jesus was who he said he was, but it validates what he said was the truth. It validated what Jesus taught. So he says this, If you hold to my teaching, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Jesus himself is the truth that sets us free. So if the Son Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, free from what? Free from one of the things is sin. Because sin has a very strange way of enslaving everybody in this planet. It has a way of controlling us. It has a way of dominating us. It has a way of dictating and compelling our actions. Many people I know are not free. They are captive to worry. Now let me say this again. They are captive to worry. Can I say this? Worry is a sin. Worry is a sin. Be anxious for nothing. 
Guilt. People are captive to guilt. Guilt drags you down. It sucks your energy. People are, uh, are captive to depression. People are bound up with anger. Bound up, captivated. They are captivated by bitterness. It dominates their mind. They're enslaved to addictions. They're enslaved to codependency. See, sin is a restraining. It is restraining. It's mastering. It enslaves you. But Jesus can set you free from that. Free from insecurity. Free from self-deception and deception by Satan. So he shows us clearly the way to eternal life with God. Hence, Jesus does not give us freedom to do what we want. But freedom to follow him. By the way, when Jesus first called his disciples, even people like Matthew. And Matthew was one of the worst of the worst. You've got prostitutes and you've got murderers and you've got thieves and you've got another classification called tax collectors. They were in worse than all the rest of them. <laughs> tax collectors. Now notice when Jesus calls Matthew. He says, Matthew, would you push your chair back and come follow me? Jesus did not ask Matthew to clean up his act first. And when you're better, when you've got rid of all those bad habits, when you've got rid of your your attitudes and all this sort of stuff, then you come follow me, come and see me later when you've got your act together. Jesus did not do that. He said, you come follow me. That's what happened to me. Jesus said, Ian, come follow me. And my penchant for fighting, my filthy mouth, my brain, my thoughts, it dropped off as I followed him, just like things falling off me as I went. If I had to be perfect, if I had to get my mouth under control, if I had to get everything perfect before I followed Jesus, I'd never be following him. Jesus says, come follow me, Matthew. Leave that there and come follow. And all that stuff, fellow, we'll talk about that later on in another message. Jesus does not, though, give us freedom to do what we want but freedom to follow him. And as we seek to serve God, Jesus' perfect truth frees us from all that we are and helps us to be all what God meant us to be. So Jesus said, when you know the truth, it will set you free. But what is the truth that sets us free? Four things I want to quickly touch on this morning that can change your life this Easter if you let it. Number one, and never forget this, friends. God made me for a purpose. Easter tells us Jesus came for a purpose. You know what that purpose was? You. He came for you. Therefore, you are not here by accident. Every person born on earth, God has a plan and a purpose for. The Bible says we are God's work of art. An individual one, not mass-produced. Created in Christ Jesus to live the good life that he wanted us to live, as he meant us to live. So God made you because he loves you and he's planned your life. What's the purpose of your life? You know, is it to get up in the morning and go to work? Come home, watch TV, go to bed, push repeat. Oh, and don't forget, on Saturday and Sunday, party. Is that it? Parties on the weekend. If I make money, spend it, retire and die. Is that it? How meaningless. Is that all there is? 
The Bible says God made you for a reason. Now, until you discover God's plan and purpose for your life and this world, you're not living, you're just existing, and life will not make sense. It'll be very confusing. So many people have a lot to live on, but very little to live for. And that's tragic. But when you discover why God made you, why he made you, and what he made you for, life takes in a new meaning and significance. Because you suddenly start to get why you are here. And that is good news. Secondly, and this is really important, that I can know God personally. Because God is a person you may know about him today. Some of you in this room may know about God. That's called religion. But do you really know him? And you won't really know him until you have a personal relationship with him. For example, one of my sons used to play rugby. And every Saturday, um, I could say I, I know, you know of John Key. Because I used to walk past him in a million miles an hour, screaming up and down the side of the rugby pitch within about three feet of him most Saturdays. Because he came and saw his son play rugby too. But I don't really know him. I just know about him a little bit. I know his name. I know what he looks like. He knows what I look like. But that's it. I don't know him. So it's possible to know about Jesus, but not know him personally. And there's a huge difference. Knowing God is a relationship, not a religion. Now, I don't know what religious background you came from. Sometimes your religious background can be a hindrance to getting to know the real Jesus. It's like an immunization shot. It gives you just enough of the disease to prevent you from getting the real thing. And that's how religion can be sometimes. With religion, they give you just enough knowledge about God to prevent you getting the real thing, which is a relationship. So God wants you to know him. The Bible says this. Jesus is speaking. Anyone who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and show myself to him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. That is all about community and relationship. Wouldn't you like to get to know him that kind of God in that kind of way rather than just a distant? God, by his Holy Spirit, is saying, I want to take the distance out of our relationship. It's possible to know somebody at a distance, but it's a different deal when we know him up front and close. Now, it's not some sort of weird, far out, freaky kind of thing. As an intellectual, rational human being, you can come to know God. But just don't let religion get in the way. Point of this is that you can get to know him personally. Third, I can be forgiven and start over. The third thing that Jesus said, and that's good news, because we all carry around the wild if-onlys. See, because guilt can be a barrier between you and God. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He came to save it. And some of you here today have felt condemned. God's word to you is, I have not come to condemn you. I have come to save you. I've not come to scare you. I've come to save you. Because guilt builds barriers between you and God and you and other people. So much so that sometimes you feel so guilty, you don't want to see those people. But free living is guilt-free living, knowing that you're forgiven. Now, all of us in this room have done things and thought things and th that we wish we hadn't done. 
And yet Jesus says, I can be forgiven and start again. That's what Easter's about. He has forgiven all our sins, the Bible says, and cancelled every record of debt that we owed. Christ has done away with this by nailing it to the cross. Again, let me ask you, how long do you remember a power bill that you've paid? You don't. You forget it. It's been paid in full. The point is, if God has forgiven it, I can forget it. Let me say it again. If God, if I've confessed it, God has um, forgiven it, and I can forget it. Now, some of you who are stuck on that, please write somewhere on your outline. 1 John 1, 9. 1 John 1, 9. A incredibly important scripture. It says this. If we confess our sin, he, God, is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness if we confess it. So if you want to get rid of that guilt, confess it. And oh God, sorry for that. Say, Lord, I'm really sorry for being such a jerk to my son. I said this, I should never say. Be specific about it. Don't sort of like, sorry. Really mean it. Name what you did wrong and confess it to God. And the Bible says he'll cleanse you. He'll forgive it and cleanse you from all that unrighteousness. The point is, if God forgives it, I can forget it. And that is great news. So regardless of who you are and what you've done, you matter to God. This Easter, the reason why we have Easter too is to remember that you can stop nailing yourself to the cross because he's already done it for you. Last, I can go to heaven when I die. That's the last one. The fact is, death is a universal event. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what. You are, like I am, going to die. Death is a great equalizer. We don't know when. Could be tomorrow. Look at Martin Crow, right? It could be. It could be. It could be next month. It could be next year. It could be in eighty years. We don't know. But it's a great equalizer. Now, only a fool would go all the way through this life unprepared for something he knows will absolutely happen. This sort of death, we get maybe eighty, ninety years. Nothing. It's not a, what we call in the States a gnat's whisker. Hardly anything. 80 or 90 years on this planet. But there's a whole eternity out there. That's a long, long time. Eventually, all of us begin to wonder, what's going to happen when I die? So, why don't we check it out with the source? Because Jesus is the authority who's already been through that and can come back and tell us. And Jesus said, if I came through the other side, so can you, if you trust me. Here's what the Bible says will happen after you die, because heaven is a perfect place. And if you are going to live in a perfect place, you have to be perfect. Well, that could be a problem, because it is for me, because I don't stand a chance. I lost my chance a long time ago. And that's where God's plan comes into play, to trust the only one that we're singing about today who is perfect to get in on his merits and to establish your relationship with him because Jesus Christ has already paid the price of admission. That's why we celebrate Easter. Look at this one. Great verse to wrap this up. God makes us ready for heaven. He makes us right in God's sight. When we do what? We put our faith and trust in Christ to save us. 
The man who finds life will find it through trusting God. He makes you ready for heaven when we put our faith and our trust in God. Now some of you are here today because some of your friends encourage you to come. That's great. But I believe there's something more to that. I believe God brought you here because he wants to tell you, you matter to him. And he wants you to know that. He wants your family to know that. Some families that aren't here and some of your neighbors. He wants you to be the light to tell them that. Because if you don't tell them, how will I know? Unless you tell them. Because you have that truth. You have the pearl of great price. So he wants you to know him personally. He wants to forgive you for all that you've done wrong, especially. And to know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die. Now some of you, because of the fabric of life right now, you are potentially thinking, because I've talked to some of you, that life is meaningless at the moment. It's just activity. I'm busy, but I'm not fulfilled. Without God in your life, life is motion without meaning. Without God. It's activity without direction. It's event without reason. Now we can only discover meaning and purpose when we make God the reference point in our lives. Because every other path leads to a dead end. That's why he says, I am the way. Every other one is a dead end. It's a waste of gas, waste of time, very frustrating going down dead ends, right? He says he's the way. He proved that by being raised from the dead. Now some of you are thinking today, well, yeah, I believe in God. Of course I do, because, I mean, look outside. That just couldn't just happen. By I was talking to a kind of like semi-agnostic, bordering on starting to believe person the other day. And this person said to me, yeah, well, that can't have just happened by accident. There has to be a creator. There's so much intelligence in there. I mean, nobody would even say that an iPhone. I mean, who would say an iPhone would have the stupidity? to be frank, would say that an iPhone would just happen to just make itself up, you know, design itself and work itself. I mean, you'd go, you'd be an idiot to say that, right? You'd be stupid. You'd be missing some marbles, right? But yet a simple, single cell is infinitely more complex than an iPhone. Infinitely more complex than an iPhone. Amazing if iPhones just multiplied, eh? And built mega structures I mean the intelligence behind that is mind boggling the Bible says all men can see God's evidence in creation but that makes them accountable they are without excuse sometimes what they do is they suppress the truth of God I don't look at that because if I look at that I could be accountable to a creator what are the odds of that happening some here are wondering well I believe in the creator but I'm not sure what he's personally involved in my life Friend, if you see something, let's go back to our iPhone or our Android. If you see something that's designed with such precision, that tells you that wasn't thrown together. That was carefully showing careful um, design, thought, and care went into that design. It's to the millimeter. There's care. It's personal. There's an intelligent mind behind that. Some are saying, well, I can never be forgiven. For what I've done, can I tell you on the authority of Scripture, you're wrong? Because we just read in 1 John 1 9, 
if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you can never use that line. Some of you are uh, here today, deep in your heart, you're worried about dying. You don't have to be if you know where you're going. If you don't, that's reasonable to be worried about that. But you don't have to be. I'm not afraid of dying anymore. I don't have to be because I know where I'm going. Now these four benefits I've just talked about are summed up in one word. That word is salvation. Salvation means God has a plan for my life. Two, he wants to get to know me personally. Three, he wants to forgive all my sin because sin is something that will stand between you and God. Sin will. So that's got to be dealt with. And that's what happens at Easter. And four, he wants to make sure I go to heaven with him. 70, 80 years down here doesn't make sense. God's about the world building a family to be with him forever. And that's good news. You say, how do I get that? How do I get salvation? Well, I can't give it to you. No way. You've got to ask God for it. You may want to pray a little prayer like the one I wrote at the bottom of the outline. And by the way, just one other verse, which I, can we just back up to the scripture in John 17, 3? It says, this is the way to have eternal life. This is why you, this is why you do it. It's very clear. By knowing the one true God and Jesus Christ, the one that he sent to earth at Christmas and died at Easter and rose again. So let's look at this life-changing prayer. It says simply this. I want you to look at it with your eyes open. It says, dear God, thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was and proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. And I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all of my sins. I accept you as my Lord and Savior and your free gift of eternal life. Now, that is a prayer I'm about to just pray. Because each of us here are in different stages of our spiritual journey. Some of you in this room today have called off. You've drifted off the path. We have the greatest truth in the world. The greatest gift of all. They they should be hosing us down to calm down our excitement about what God has done for us. Because we have all eternity to rejoice in that. As God is saying to some of you today who've kind of come off, and you know, you know, you know because the Holy Spirit before today has been talking to you about this. You're slipping. And he says to you today, come back to me, I will welcome you with open arms. Some of you today here have never found a church home. You've kind of hopped around or dropped out for a while. You need to find a church home. And you need to be committed to the bride of Christ because Christ gave his life for her. In spite of her spots and blemishes, he died for her. So never let it be said of anybody that is associated with New Hope Community Church, we ever talk about Jesus' bride disparagingly. Or you can talk about me disparagingly. If you're talking about me and my wife, you talk about my wife, watch out. (laughs) Never. Always build her up. Don't ever get pulled into discussions. Stand up for her. You're an ambassador of Christ. You look after his bride. Now, if this isn't the right place for you, that's happy day. There are plenty of churches. But find one and stay. 
stick to it and support her and build her up and encourage her every way you can. That is your responsibility if you call yourself a Christian. Now, if you haven't found one yet, we'd love you to come and join our our family. We'd love you. But Jesus says, I want you to come to know me. Let's just bow our heads for the sake of those of us in this room who have never asked Jesus to come back. And for those of you who have before and feel like you need to recommit your life, I want you to take this chance to just do some business with God. We're just going to pause for a few seconds before we pray. And I'm going to read that prayer so you're very clear. In fact, why don't we all pray this prayer? If that is in your heart. If that's in your heart today, even to recommit or to commit for the first time as a, as a family, and there's no pressure, if you do not want to do that, that's entirely your choice. But I would encourage you that this day can be a red letter day in your life and can change your destiny forever. Just let's read this together. Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was and proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sin. I accept you as my Lord and Savior and your free gift of eternal life. Amen. Now today, if you said that prayer in your heart, and you meant it, doesn't matter whether your eyes are open or your eyes are closed, that doesn't matter to God. Sometimes Christians close their eyes because it helps them concentrate. doesn't matter though, because God knows your heart. If you said that prayer today, this is the beginning of a brand new journey for you in your Christian life. And you've taken what is the most important step you could ever take next to basically getting married. And our church is here to help you understand what that means. In fact, if you'd let me know about your decision today on your communication card, we'd love to send you a packet of information that we've prepared for you and we'll put together. And I'm not going to bother you, but I am going to send you some material. And if you don't have a church home, we would love to welcome you here. And if you're saying, Ian, that sounds good, but I need time to think that over and answer some questions too, we have a fantastic class run by Jared and Roland called Fresh Start. And you can go there. uh, The only real requirement to go there is that you have intellectual honesty. You're prepared to ask some tough questions of these guys and the team there and let them answer with you. We meet just after the service upstairs in in the room above there. And just write Fresh Start in the back of your card and we'll get in contact with you and we'll um, tell you about our next study. So God bless you. Have a great week. I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you.